We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Friday, so it's the Friday free-for-all mailbag where you set the agenda on what we talk about. And let me tell you, I was starting to go through the questions, and there's already a ton of great stuff out there. And I will say this, uh, if you're looking for the uh, the daily Dante Moore update, Head over to the boards because that's where it's going to be. It's not going to be in this in the right. show today, but that's we have we have a little something something. Get that out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> got that. Got a Notre Dame commit that may be visiting another school this weekend, and why it's nothing to worry about. Right. There's yep. A yep. Top player on the board just uh, set his visit up for this uh, the June seventeenth weekend. Lots. That Lots June seventeenth weekend intel. is going to be pretty big. So yeah, I'll, Sean I'll had that. an intel piece on Christian Gray. Yep. Got some stuff on the board today, yep. man. Yep. Got some stuff. No so. doubt. So go ahead and check all that out over there at boards.irishbreakdown.com. The link is right down there. Yeah. So if you're not a member, now's a good time. And before we get started, this is going to be a great show. So go ahead and hit that like button now. Yeah, baby. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button now. Hit the notification bell and get ready. Buckle up. We got <laughs> some stuff for you today. We got some great questions, which hopefully means some great answers. So let's Absolutely. get rocking and rolling, Vince. All right. So Jordan Schreiber uh, is first on the list today. He says, uh, why do you think Michigan is getting over on Notre Dame in recruiting? You realize UM secured Amarion Walker over the Irish? There's a little bit of sarcasm there just, in uh, just Jordan's like, comment. Yes. And he says, in all seriousness, obviously CJ Williams was the only loss last year at wide receiver. Was there anything Notre Dame could have done to keep him in the class? Yeah, Brian Kelly should have made a change at receivers coach way before yep. uh, that whole thing even was an option. I mean, that, that's really it. Was there anything that, that Marcus Freeman and the staff after Kelly was gone could have done? No. No, there was nothing they could have done. Yeah, That all started before he left, and it had a lot to do. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Smitty or Ryan or somebody that's doing recruiting, and they're like, yeah. This kid's really giving Notre Dame a second look. He didn't like the last receivers coach. I'm serious. I've heard that a half dozen times just in the last week alone. Right. So that's what he could have done differently, but mm-hmm. is what it is. And he's got a part three. And do you agree? Amarion Walker decommitting was a net positive because it leaves open slots in 23 for more talented receivers than him. 
Well, it depends on whose point of view you want to go with. If you want to go with the Notre Dame coaching staff. So Tommy Reese, I'm, from what I understand, liked him more in Walker. And they thought he was a fast kid that could bring some home run ability. If you ask Tommy Reese and the Notre Dame coaching staff, they may tell you no, it's not a net positive. At least if you get them off the record. If they tell you on the record, of course they're going to say yes. But well, yeah, perhaps right. off the record they may say, you know, it, it, it it's not a net positive. For me, I believe that it is. Yeah. It, you know, it, look, it hurts 2022, but then Martin Walker was not going to help you in 2022. He's too skinny. He 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 need he's a raw kid. He needs a lot of work. Right. You know, he had a he had a nice ceiling. I mean, I like his potential, but I I don't see him helping Notre Dame this year. So, you know, I mean, you, you load up on this year's class. Part of me, Jordan says, let's see what the receiver class looks like first. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like we're that's feeling true. good about where things stand right now, but the reality is, is the receiving core only has one commit in the class. Right. So, yeah, while we feel really good about Jaden Greathouse and, you know, they're really emerging with Rodney Gallagher and, you know, Ronan Hannafin's an option and Rico Flores is a strong option. And, you know, and they just made his final three. They're they're, they're still pushing for Tyler Williams, who's a, a stud. I mean, there's some guys on the board. Maybe Micah Tease ends up being a receiver. I want to see more of those guys commit first before I'm ready to say, ah, forget him more in Walker. I'm glad he's not gone. If, if you know – this may be a better question after the kind of class is all put together. But That's fair. I, I, there's, there's, there's not a single guy that I just mentioned that I would rank below a Morin Walker. But they just need to get those guys. That's going to be right. key. Got to close. In other words, I've right. never heard you say that before. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jordan. Uh, his final—I shouldn't say his final question, but final from this little string. He says we're going to flip over to the defensive side. So is Joshua Burnham too big? To be a linebacker now, can he still profile at Mike, or he's even too big there too? And why uh, or is that why he was moved to Viper? Well, there are several reasons he was moved to Viper. Number one is he had really hit a big growth spurt. I mean, he's over six four. He was already two thirty and thin. And from what I was told from sources, they kind of looked at the way he had put on weight just in four months from January to April, and were like. He's just getting started. He's probably going to put on another 20 pounds of good, big, strong muscle in the spring and the, you know, I mean, in the summer. And it was kind of like between Junior Tui Alamaka, Nolan right. Ziegler, Prince Colley, you know, uh, Jalen Sneed. Plus, you've got commitments from Drake Bowen and Preston Center in the 2023 class. You've got this kid, Joshua Burnham, who's got some really freaky athleticism and he's just blowing up size wise. Is there a better place to, to to give him a chance to fit? Right. You know, Mike was always going to be an adjustment for Josh. We talked about this when he signed. Do we? You know, I think he's going to be a special teams guy as a freshman, but there was going to be a growing period because he was a quarterback and a, you know linebacker, edge guy. I mean, he'd done he'd done he so many have things. Like a home, you know? right? Yeah. And, and we've talked about with a lot of those kids that play a lot of positions. It may take them some time to kind of get comfortable in one spot, and that was going to be true for Josh. So. Yeah, I think that's really it. Is like this kid is too big, too athletic to to sit for a couple of years while he learns position. And I think another thing that factored in too is, you know, there, there was a lot of question marks at the Mike position beyond 2022, right? And Josh was going to get a chance to compete for that. But I also think that the emergence of Junior to Alamaca has yeah. helped solidify that as well, right? In, in that, you know, look, Junior really is who better than they thought. I mean, they liked Junior a lot, that's why they recruited him. But he was even better than they thought. And the, the, looking down the road, it's like, okay, we this is how we can get all these kids kind of on the field together. And, you know, Josh was – Josh embraced it. I mean, that's the thing – that's an important part of it too. Josh has embra embraced it, and apparently he really picked it up quickly. So it wouldn't shock me if he's able to 
to find a, a some a niche at some point in time this year and certainly be a special teams guy. So that's really it. It's not that he's too big. I mean, I, I think it was more he's going to get too big. Right. Just on and, and, a, and one thing we reported back in the winter before spring ball started uh, events. I don't know if we said it on this channel, but we definitely said it on the message board with yeah. is Josh Burnham and Nolan Ziegler especially were two freshmen that like embraced the strength program like and were fiends for it you know and nolan especially with the sprints but josh with the lifts they were two guys that really just took to it and and it paid off for josh in in a a big weight gain so i think that factored into it as well we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We got a super chat from John. Thank you very much, John. I know it's early, but it's Ohio State ball with three seconds left in the game. Fourth and goal from the 11-yard line versus Ohio State. Notre Dame's up five. Who you got on the field? What's the call? All right, so I've got I've got on the edge. I've got Isaiah Foskey and Justin Adamiola up the middle. I have Jason Adamiola and Riley Mills. Yep. At linebacker, I got. I got throw. I'm huh? assuming they're going to throw the ball from the eleven with three seconds to go. Right. Right. So, yeah. I'm going Maris Lufout. Will linebacker. I'm going. It's a good question. I'm going. Mike linebacker, I'm I'm probably going Bo Bauer just because I'm going to get that extra blitzer. I'm not going to give him time to to read read it. Yeah, and then I'm going at safety. I'm going Brandon Joseph. I'm going Ramon Henderson. I'm going Tariq Bracy in the slot. 
I'm going Cam Hart on the outside, and then whoever wins that other starting cornerback job on the other side. So uh, whether it's Clarence Lewis or Ryan Burns or whatever, I'm definitely in five DBs, but I'm not going dime because I'm heating you up and I'm making you think you got to get the ball out quickly and try to do a catch and run situation. And if that's the case, then you got to rely on your tacklers to come up and beat people and get them off the wall. Which I feel good about. But I'm not letting him get a throw into the end zone. Unless it's just a quick fade and then it's, you know, where, where are you? Right. I like it. And I'm taking away the inside. I'm I'm not giving slants and unders and all that stuff. I'm taking away the inside, and you know you're just gonna have, your guys are gonna just have to be better than our guys. Basically, yeah. how I get down to it. Force the issue is I think mm-hmm. is the key for me on that. With that mm-hmm. with that grouping and with the, you know what you're saying, you're forcing them to react to what you're doing, which is not always easy to do defensively. But I think in that scenario, you're forcing the issue and you're forcing right. them to go make a play and make it quick. So right. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Jordan has an offensive line question, which I really like. Uh, and I'm very curious to see what you have to say here, Brian. Do you think Josh Lug is only going to start at guard if he's the best? Or will he get loyalty points for getting recruited by Harry, even if someone else is better? I don't think Harry gives two rips about who he recruited. <laughs> I don't think he gives two rips about that. And when right. we saw that early in his tenure at Notre Dame, I mean, his first two years in Notre Dame, the first time he'd started nothing but guys that he that that somebody else recruited. Even Ronnie Stanley, who started as a redshirt freshman in 2013, Ronnie was recruited initially by Ed Warner. You know, he he signed with Notre Dame when Harry got hired, but he wasn't necessarily a Harry recruit, right? right. So I don't think he gives two rips about that. That's not how Harry Heath then operates. Now, will Josh Lug get loyalty points for his experience? If things are kind of all everything else is equal, yes, as yeah. he should. All right. But it Absolutely. won't have anything to do with whether he was or was not recruited by Harry Heastan. It'll be about we think he, you know, looking at it from a coach standpoint, we think he gives us the best chance to compete. Right. Uh, so we did have a, a story on the message board today, though, Vince. And and you know, speaking of of guys that that Harry did or didn't recruit. So we mentioned a few weeks ago that that you know there's an option that Notre Dame could if Zeke Carell, if depending on how Zeke they feel about Zeke Carell's emergence the center and where he could fit best you could see a scenario where jared patterson moves to guard right well we're hearing more and more and more of that and really? and it, yeah and it's about just comes down to it where zeke was just too good not he was too good this spring i mean he, he was excellent this spring so do you move him to guard where he struggled last year or do you leave him at center where he's had his good moments at notre dame then i know you're very high on zeke for what he did in 2020 as a yep. center in two games and then move Jarrett Patterson to guard. Neither really is a necessarily easy decision to make, but as far as you know, Zeke at guard or Jarrett at guard, but we're we're I don't believe it's been finalized yet, but we've heard from multiple sources now that there's a chance that they're at least considering that having Zeke start at center and moving Jarrett out to guard. Now, will that be left guard? Will he'll battle where not battle, where he'll start over Andrews? Jarrett Patterson's not battling first job. <laughs> where he starts over Andrew Christophic and Rocco Spindler. Is it moving to right guard where he right. starts over Josh Lug? I don't know the answer to that yet, but we do expect that, that that to at least be a strong, strong possibility, which again only adds to the pressure for Josh Lug to say, Hey, sure. you know, you got to be healthy and you got to be ready to play. Yep. Uh, so, so there's, there's like no it. doubt about that. I like that. And I think, I think Patterson is, is a little bit more versatile, obviously. Um, but then Zeke, but I, I think Zeke plays a really good center, and I think that that's his natural 
home. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head, though, Vince. What did we say last year when we were having this conversation? Right. Jared Patterson could start and be a standout at all five offenses. about lines. him moving to tackle. Remember that? I was, yeah, I was. Well, that's what I wrote in the article. Like yeah. Last year, we're having this conversation about, okay, could he move to left tackle and start at left right. tackle? And, you know, I went back and watched some film yesterday and today of Jared Patterson just to kind of get a refresher before my article. And you, even when you see him line up a center, he's got these really long arms, you know, like most centers, the ball's kind of here where Jared's like way out here because his right. arms are so long. He could play anywhere he wants. Right. So you're correct. He brings that versatility to the table where Zeke just didn't play well at guard. And we could talk it. We could make a million excuses for it. Oh, Quinn's this or that or whatever. But the fact is he didn't play well there. He didn't look comfortable to me, honestly. No, I I just don't think he looked very comfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, he comes down to it. Are you going to leave Zeke Carell at center and, you know, let Jarrett move? And and that's not an easy decision either because you've got a, a three-year starter going into his fourth year as a starter at center. He's the captain of your line. You move him out of that sort of leadership position, he's still going to be the leader of the line. But, you know, somebody else may have to make the calls. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's not an easy decision. But from what I understand, Zeke Carell made it a lot easier on them with just how well he performed. And it wasn't just the blue-gold game. He was very good in the blue-gold game. But from what I'm told, it was all spring. Steady he Eddie. just played well all spring. Now, he's going to have to, A, stay healthy. That's been an issue for him. And then, B, he's obviously going to have to continue developing into the spring. You know, the thing that I was told last year during fall camp, Tony, was Zeke was there are some days where Zeke was excellent and some days where he was terrible. It just was really inconsistent. You know, as a center, he's going to have to be consistent, and that's what I heard about him this spring. Every time I talked to him, it was like, Zeke's well, Zeke's playing well, Zeke's playing well, Zeke's playing well. And it's like, okay, this is going to get interesting. You know, it's going to get interesting, which is why we brought it up a few weeks ago. And so right now it looks like that's a legitimate. Uh, I actually like yeah. it a lot. Yeah. You know, I I like it a lot. Yeah, John is going to be christened in here for the first time this Friday. And uh, he always brings the great questions. And I love this question. This is actually something that Sean Styers and I talked about uh, on his radio show. Uh, I think it was last week because we had a nice conversation about this. And so I'm I'm interested to get your opinion on this as well. But he says, during the Clemson game, Dabo Sweeney commented, college football is the only level of football where you're not allowed to scrimmage an outside opponent. He suggested a scrimmage or a preseason game. Would you support the preseason game in college football? I don't know if I would support a preseason game. I would. We've talked about this before. I would like to see a a sort of a local scrimmage situation be brought about. A combined practice, say like that's something like that, like in the middle of fall camp. You know, where you know you have that thing. I don't know if I'd want a preseason game that's the week before uh, the season starts, right? You know, or something where maybe you guys have a practice together and you you kind of end it with a scrimmage situation, and maybe you do that a couple. You know, you do that over two weekends. So if you're able to find somebody close enough, and you know, like Notre Dame and Purdue, right, and they get together and they meet at Camp Culver or something like that for, you know, four or five days. And, you know, they can practice. Because there's the thing, if you can really work it out logistically, you know, you could do some really interesting things where, you know, we have our practice field over here. You have your practice field over there. You know, we have some combined periods and then some not some combined periods. But then we have a couple, you know, have a scrimmage in there, you know, or a couple scrimmages in there. Because if you're going to have a scrimmage, you're going to have first team against first team and all that. So I would want to work out some sort of details, but that's something I would like to see. I would. I would like to see that. I actually wouldn't wouldn't mind. And on top of doing that, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, camp extended a bit, you know, make camp maybe a couple weeks longer, but get more breaks in there. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. just giving these these people more time to kind of, you know, I because mean, NFL, they got like months to prepare. They got like rookie camp, then mini camps, and then, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't mind seeing may, at least maybe a week and and then maybe a couple extra days off in that and then have those type of situations. I wouldn't mind. I would love to see that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And he's absolutely right. It's the only level of, of football that doesn't allow any type of preseason. Now, I'm not someone who says, well, just because everybody else does it, you should do it because you could make the same argument for why Notre Dame and the college you know, D- D1 football needs an expanded 16 to 32 team playoff because every other level of football does the same thing. So I do think there's got to be some uniqueness to college football. This isn't one of those areas that I'm holding true to the uniqueness aspect of it because I don't think it helps them get prepared. I think it w- there would be some benefits to finding programs that you could do that with. I mean, the number of places where you'd have a hard time finding somebody close by is minimal. I don't know what's near Montana, you know what I mean? And you got to be careful. You don't want to do like a rival or something like that, but I'd be, John, I'd be all for that. Again, I don't know if I'd do it as a preseason game. I wouldn't necessarily want it to where like you're selling tickets and it's front of this and that I would rather be something like we have at the division three level, you know, it's like, you may go to their place and play in a scrimmage, but it's like more of a scrimmage type situation. You may do some red zone, some different aspects of it where you're really practicing in a scrimmage situation, where, but you're breaking it down like, hey, we're going to have a goal line period. We're going to have a seven on seven period against each other. Then then like almost like a so some one on ones that we're working on each other and we're coaching guys up and all that. And then we end up with like a scrimmage. You know, I, I would I would see I would like to see something like that. Now, see, <clears throat> I will agree with you to a point. Um, I, I don't want a full-fledged like game. I, I don't think that that's necessary. But I, I think a combined practice like the NFL does uh, would make a lot of sense. I think a controlled scrimmage like we do in Indiana for high school makes a lot of sense. It's the Friday before the first game, and it's a controlled scrimmage. You get you know, 12 plays from the 40. And then you get 10 plays at the goal line, and then you get you know 10 plays from the from the plus 30 or whatever. I think that can hold a lot of significance because, look, once you've gone through fall camp, you're sick and tired of hitting a guy in the same color helmet. Mm-hmm. Right? You're playing against the same guy every day. If you're doing one-on-one or one-v-ones, even if you're doing one-on-ones, you're mm-hmm. going against the same guys over and over and over. You know their defense. They know your offense. You know their tendencies. Exactly. You know right. all kinds of stuff. So are you really gaining from some of that stuff? Now, if it's coached properly, of course you can. Well, you're gaining from it, but are you gaining as much as right. you could exactly. if you were in a little bit of a foreign against a foreign right. type of situation? Now, I would take it to another level, and I would say that selling cheap tickets to some fans locally, yeah. I have no problem with that because I, I still believe, and I will get right back on my soapbox, I think Notre Dame has priced the local market out of going to games. Oh, that I 100% agree with. I, I Opportunity for some people to go as a, as a coach, I don't want people there. I, I don't want media there. I don't want – I want this to be a, a, about us. I mean, look, I think Notre Dame does a, a bad job of marketing itself right now. I don't know who's in charge of it, but, like, the fact that there was so little that came out of this spring – and, again, it doesn't have to be – you don't want us to be there, fine, we're not there. But there should have been so many hype videos and coach vid- profile videos and stuff where you're not showing anything except guys coaching that you can use to really build your program, and they didn't do that. I don't expect we're going to have much access in the fall, and, and – and for our job, I don't like that for us. Right, but right. as a coach, especially going in year one, I'd say, yeah, I, I don't really want the media there. This is about us growing as a team and developing, and I don't want that pressure of 
a kid doesn't have a great Tuesday scrimmage against Purdue and Driscoll's writing articles about how he can't play and D'Addario's hammering him in this and Tim Priester's writing about him and O'Malley's writing about him and we're all, you know what I mean? And I just don't want that, right? Like, you know, yes, it's good for our job, but as a coach and what's best for the team, I don't know if that's necessarily something I would want to do. I'd want it to be like a, a scrimmage and, you know, a, a controlled practice. I like your idea of a controlled that's, practice. I just, that's what it would you know, be. I just, I don't love the idea of, of, you know, having fans there, the, the whole local market thing, that's a completely different conversation for a different day that you and I would agree on completely. I mean, you're a father of five. There's no, no. way you could afford to take your kids, Zero. except maybe the Marshall game day of Still. you go day of, and you could get really cheap tickets for a game that nobody cares about. Right. But I, how's that going to be this year with the excitement about Marcus Freeman? You right. know what I mean? So that's an interesting one. It's a very yeah, interesting one. No question. We got another super chat here from Hulk Strongest. He says, uh, heard on three's reason for having Dante behind the other quarterback. He said that it's because he doesn't use his legs more than the other top QBs. I read that. It's just. Okay. <laughs> it's just silly. Moving on. So drop him to 15. Yeah. To drop him into the 40s is just. Wow. Absurd. Absurd. Wow. And everyone can have their own opinions, but it's absurd. And I really don't care to spend any more time talking about on three stupid rankings, to yep. be completely honest with you. So I disagree with you more on that one. Notre Dame 2164. Where would Drake Bowen rank compared to last year's linebacker Hall? As a junior, he he might be number one. Uh, that's the interesting one is, is if you, you, you know, cause Jalen seed was good as a junior, but I, he really took off and became like a, a top 35 to 40 guy as a senior, Josh Burnham's another one that I had as a, as a top 100 guy that really jumped as a senior. I think those, are, those would be the, that would be kind of the range that he would jump into for me, uh, to be honest with you, but he grades out as a top 50 guy for me. So he'd be one or two. I think Jalen Snead is a guy that still has an incredibly high ceiling because of his athleticism, but Drake's really close. Josh Burnham had a very high ceiling because of his of his upside. Jo- Drake's a really good football player. He's a really good football player. So I could definitely see him, you know, being a guy that would have ranked in a very similar area to where those other guys ranked. So that would be um that would be a very interesting one. Got another super chat here from Brandon Plensner. Thank you, Brandon, very much for that. In your opinion, is Rico Flores a take considering who's on the board and who Notre Dame is heavily in the mix with? So, Brandon, this is an interesting one. So, if if I'm Notre Dame, here's how I'm going to handle it. And I think this is kind of how Ohio State's handling his recruitment as well. I would say I would recruit him like he's a take right now. And and then I would have – see how the rest of the visits play out, right? And I think – you know, when you look at at who's coming on campus, and I think you and I would agree that Notre Dame is in a, in a in a pretty good place with a lot of those guys. But I don't know if I, you know, I look at Jaden Greathouse, I think they're in a great place with. I think they're in a really strong position with, with uh, Rodney Gallagher, but there's work to be done there. There's still people that, that are battling for him, and, you know, West Virginia's got a legitimate chance. People want to dismiss that, but I'm just telling you, West Virginia is, is going gonna, is gonna to be a factor in that. Penn State's going to be a factor in it, so that's going to be part of what as well. I, If Ohio State offers him a scholarship, they could quickly get in the mix for that. I know he likes Ohio State a lot. So I think then you look at Ronan Hannafin. How do you feel about Ronan Hannafin? I, 
you know, I, I, I really like Ronan Hannafin as a player, but he seems to have legitimate interest in Alabama and Clemson and, and Oklahoma and teams like that. And so I don't know if I am comfortable enough waiting on him to carry this entire process through to and then maybe miss. I mean, that that's the problem is I just don't know if I'm in if I'm going to be comfortable with that. And then you look like Tyler Williams. Brandon, you and I both love Tyler Williams. You and I both think Tyler Williams is a stud, but the reality is, is he's got four official visits already set up and he hasn't really done a whole lot to show Notre Dame he has the interest in setting up one to South Bend. And and so, you know, then you look at like, okay, who are some other guys on the board? You know, there's Malik Elzey. Well, I like Rico Flores as a receiver more than Malik Elzey. Then, you you know, you look at, okay, Micah Tease. I like Micah Tease more, but Micah Tease isn't a guaranteed, you know, offensive player at the next level. So, and I'm not sure where Notre Dame stands with him. I know uh, uh, Ryan is a lot higher on him than I am in regards to where Notre Dame stands with him. We both love him as a player, but where Notre Dame stands. So there's still a lot of uncertainty where – I might have a hard time saying no to Rico Flores at the moment, but by the time he makes his commitment on June, July 3rd, because you don't have to have that conversation with him right now. Right. Because you know when he's going to commit. You know he's not going to come to your camp as a commit on July, t- June 10th when he visits, right? He's, he's, he's got another, I think he has one more visit set up after that, or he's, he's going to set up a visit and he's not going to make his decision until July 3rd. He'll make it before that, but he won't make his announcement till then. Well, by then, you'll have had Ronan Hannafin and Jaden Greathouse and all those guys on campus, Rodney Gallagher on campus, and you'll know whether or not you're able to convince Micah Tease to come on campus for a visit. Because if you can't convince Micah Tease and Tyler Williams to come on campus for a summer visit, official, then I'm not feeling great about getting them. And you can't afford to miss. They cannot afford to miss a receiver. Enrico Flores is a good football player. He's not an elite football player. He's a higher floor, lower ceiling guy compared to the others. But he is a kid that I think could play early because he's a you know smart kid. He's a quality athlete. He's got really good ball skills. I mean, he had like 80 catches for 1,100 yards and, you know, oh, I think over a dozen touchdowns last year. He's a really quality player. And I don't know if I would – I don't know if Notre Dame – I mean, and, and let's not forget, Notre Dame, based on their current roster, is only going to have four scholarship receivers on the roster next year. So there's going to be a need for at least one or two of those guys to be ready to play right away. And, and so I just look at it and I feel like – Rico Flores would be a tough guy for me to say no to, even though I don't grade him as high as some of the other guys. I grade him a lot higher than some of the – I mean, definitely grade him better than Amorian Walker last year. Don't grade him as high as C.J. Williams, but he's a good football player. But you didn't get C.J. Williams. So I'd have a a hard time saying no to him unless I just knock it out of the park and Great House gives me a – you know, or uh, excuse me, Gallagher gives me a silent commitment and Hannafin gives me a silent commitment and they plan on, you know, setting – end dates like hey i'm silent commitment i'm gonna go over here and visit this because i already set that up but i'm gonna you know announce afterwards unless i had some pretty firm silent commitments i would i would have a hard time saying no to him he's a quality football player again not an elite player because here's the reality of it too brandon if tyler williams decides he wants to visit in the fall okay you just take one more receiver (laughs) i mean that's that's he's that kind of player and and i don't know if some of those other guys are good enough to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to play this game of risk with you and, and say no to Rico Flores. Who's also a good football player. I don't know if any of them are like that much better than him that I'd be willing to play that game. And if he wants to be here, he's a high academic kid. He's a West coast kid. I think that's good to kind of get some more West coast skill kids on campus. So, you know, there's a lot of positives for considering taking him in my opinion. 
Okay. Did you have this one up? All right. Jordan is back at it. He says, do you think Notre Dame would have beat Oklahoma State if Marcus Freeman kept the reins at defensive coordinator instead of handing it over to Mike Elston? Do you think his, and this is, these are Jordan's words, his awful yeah. audition factored into him leaving for the Wolverines? Well, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, we, we can't. I, that's why I wanted to say yeah. that. Was, I mean, it wasn't right. good. Yeah, it wasn't good. I, and that's un, that's unfair for me to say, Jordan, because I I mean the easy like Homer answer like yes they would have won if it, because he wouldn't have just been the DC he would have had all the head coaching responsibilities sure. to go along with that it's not a given that he he would have been able to call the game the way he did during the fall I mean, it, we don't know what maybe he would have still given game plan you know a, a, a lot of game plan authority to those other coaches and then the game plan wouldn't have been as strong so. I don't want to say that. I, I don't think that's fair to the coaches who who worked hard that, during that prep to, to put a game plan together. Just wasn't a good one, and they didn't adjust. Right. Actually, that, that, I should say it wasn't a good one because it started off pretty darn well. Adjustment. Right. That was right for me. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's unfair. I, if I'm being honest, I don't know how it would have gone with Marcus Freeman trying to juggle head coach and you know, coordinator and all that during the stretch. I, I honestly don't know how that would have gone. The other part of it is the second part of it is, do I think that awful audition factor in his leaving for the Wolverines to a degree? Yeah. I think Mike Elson really wanted the D coordinator job. I think that as more and more of the kind of the comfort of being at Notre Dame was gone because there were so many new assistants that, I mean, I think he, he knew I'm never going to be a coordinator here. I mean, I've been passed over, how many times by Kelly and now Marcus by Marcus. And now, you know, I got passed over by Marcus and now Marcus has passed me over. So I just kind of look at it. It was like, just the timing was right for him to make the move. There was an opening at, a, at one of the few, like there weren't many places Mike also would have considered leaving Notre Dame for. I, I do, do think it was a unique thing where if, if Sean Nua doesn't leave Michigan, I think Mike Elson's probably still at Notre Dame. I think it was the fact that it was Michigan, his alma mater, that opened it up. So I think that had more to do with than with the D.C. thing, honestly. But I think that was the thing that gave him the the final push to say, I'm going to make this move. Mm-hmm. I, think, okay. I think that's what it boils down to. John says, of all the corners who will be on the roster in the fall outside of Cam Hart, who has the highest upside? Hmm. Who has the highest upside of the current group of corners? So I guess I got to answer that two ways, John. I'm going to answer it with the guys that are already on campus and then the guys, the guys mm-hmm. that aren't. Uh, the guys that are were on the roster in the spring, I'd probably go Ryan Barnes. Mm-hmm. It would be my highest upside of where guys are now. And if you took everybody that's going to th- then be on the team in the fall, it's Benjamin Morrison by a significant amount, to be honest, for me. I, I think Benjamin Morrison has a five-star upside. I graded him as a top 100 recruit. And he's a guy that 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 Vince, I just I think he's the best cornerback Notre Dame has signed really since Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison is the best one two punch Notre Dame has signed since they signed Kavari Russell and T Shepherd in 2012. And I know T Shepherd had some issues, but his issues were not, he's not really talented. Right. His issues were up here, you know. Uh, but he was really talented. And Kavari obviously was really talented. So you, you know, pick one of those two would probably be, be you know. You could make a case for one of those two. I'm going with Ryan Barnes over Jaden Mickey, the length and all that type of stuff. But if you were to sit there and be like, no, I think Mickey's got more upside, I, I wouldn't 
spend a lot of time arguing with you. I just personally would take Ryan. But once Benjamin Morrison shows up, to me, there's other than Cam Hart, there's not a corner on the roster with a with a higher ceiling than him, in my opinion. Toe Jam, nineteen ninety two. I hope he doesn't have like you know any Toe Jam in there since nineteen ninety two. That would be bad. What? <laughs> Thanks for the super chat, Toe Jam. Appreciate that, Brian. Your IB film breakdown for Absher. Why? Why all the veer vitriol? Other than it looked insane and ineffective. Do you also hate on people that shoot free throws underhanded? I kid. Great show. <laughs> I mean, my man. Oh my gosh. Um, so I appreciate the super chat. He's obviously a lot of sarcasm. I, I just, I despise the veer. I little, little background. I uh, have some dad lost my starting job in college because our off, we switched to a veer offense uh, essentially. So I started as a red shirt sophomore and then I was the, they hired a new offensive coordinator and his son was the quarterback's coach and he was an idiot. I think he's still the offensive coordinator there actually. Wow. And uh, they tried to squeeze me into a veer offense, right? And he recruited a bunch of freshmen and it was, I mean, I, I got, I lost my job before we got into full pads. I mean, that's how quickly I got replaced. So then we went out and, tra- and played Bowie State in a scrimmage, and I outplayed the kid, obviously, and and played well, and I got my job back. And so we go into our first game of the year, and we're down 20 nothing at halftime because we're just trying to run to Veer. I can't run to Veer. And so uh, – and just he wasn't calling pass plays, just like all running stuff. So then the second half, we're down 20 nothing. He's like, okay, let's throw the ball. So I – we lead us on a couple touchdown drives. We get the ball back. It's like 55 seconds left. We get it like our own 25. There's no timeouts left. I lead us down the field. Uh, he, we, we get together on the sideline. We kind of figure out what play we want to call. And, and you know, we're going to do a rollout. And he wants me to do one thing. And I kind of overruled him and said, hey, let's throw this. Because they were – like every time I rolled out, they would just fly to the ball. And I was like, let's bring the tight end on the track. So do that. Throw a touchdown pass, make it 2018. Again, 18 points, second half, 55 seconds left, no timeouts, leads you down, throw a touchdown. He calls a slant on uh, for two point conversion. Guy gets mugged. They don't call it. It is what it is. We lose the game. And basically, it was that was it. Was it? I was like, well, you let you, you couldn't win. So we're going to go to the freshman. And that was it. And it's because he could run the veer. So I hated it then. And then just. You know, I coached in it for two years when I was at Defiance, and it was just stupid. And you know, I just, I, it's just an ugly offense to me. It's just, it's not football how I view football. You know, it's like a completely different version of it. I understand why the academies do it. It's the only way they can compete, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. But for me, I just, I despise it. So it's personal. It's not just that I think it's a crap offense for a team like Notre Dame or a power, you know, a power five team to do. It's it, there's some there's some personal animus to that one as well. So yeah, but I did get my revenge. So see, that was 2000 in 2004. I was coaching at Christopher Newport, and we played my alma mater in the first round of the playoffs. They were 10 and 0, undefeated, ranked third or fourth in the country. It was the best team they'd had in 30 years. And we went to their place and beat them by 11. I was the pass game coordinator. We threw for like almost 300 yards that game. And I got my payback. And it was the same staff. So <laughs> I had a DX moment, you know, at the end of that game. So <laughs> it was my former head coach and coordinators and all of them. 
there was even some guys I had, you know, that were freshmen on the team I played on that were still on that team. So, uh, yeah, I had a little something for him, a little something for him. Yeah. And it was funny because the head coach that week was also our offensive coordinator. He pretty much let me design the whole game plan that week. And he was one of the few times he actually called the game exactly how I told him to call the game. And uh, it worked really well. So, yeah, I got the last laugh. (laughs) Still laughing today. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jordan says, do you think Estime plays at fullback this year, too, with a bunch of two-back sets? That would be really exciting to see. It would bring back Brooks Bettis flashbacks. I I think it's a possibility, but – and the reason I say that it might be a possibility is because they did take two walk-on kids and change their position to fullback. So that means that there is stuff in the playbook for a fullback. Now, how are they going to utilize that fullback? Are they going to bring those walk-ons in? Are they going to let a guy like Estimate do it? That remains to be wrong. Right. Right. I mean, all of that remains to be seen. But they don't change a guy's position if they don't have something in there for a fullback. So it's possible. Sure, it's possible. I don't, I mean, again, playing fullback isn't just something you go do on a Thursday. Right. I mean, it's a different angles. It's There's technique involved. There's all that kind of stuff. You know, when I do some things in two-back sets where I have him as a lead blocker, yeah, but I would do it more in a traditional two-back alignment where, you know, I'm running a buck sweep and he's the lead blocker from that way, which we've seen Notre Dame do. I mean, if you remember that jet sweep that they scored like a 50-yard touchdown on against LSU, in the it was a Music City Bowl in 14, it wasn't a two-back set, but they brought C.J. Procise in motion from the left. They had him and they had Torin Folson to that side, and he led block and he chopped the guy, to, which got C.J. free on that block. So it's like something like that. Sure, I could see something like that. Uh, it will never look like the Brooks Bettis situation. I mean, they were in an eye, and right. Jerome Bettis was getting dives and stuff like veers and stuff like that. You know, so trap. It won't be anything like that, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be shocked if we don't see some two-back sets this year and two-back sets with Audric Estime in the game. Be shocked if we don't see that. I wouldn't mind a little fullback uh, fullback trap. That, that's such a quick hitter, man. I love that play. Yeah, you gotta, I mean, the thing is you got to spend a lot of time teaching that and practicing it. It's completely against everything that they do. No question. Yeah. I completely agree because it's all that play in particular is all about timing. Because right. if you have bad timing on that play, you guys are running into each other right. and – it's a it's a quick right. hitter and yeah and and for me with what Notre Dame does I don't know if that gives them more than a draw an inside zone a sure. play like that would give them I get what you're saying. So. John says, given the current cornerback prospects on the board, what is the dream hall for that position? I don't know if I have a dream hall yet, John. I think the one the one thing is is I they got to get Micah Bell. Like to me, they just they got to get that kid. I mean and. <laughs> Notre Dame doesn't sign 10-4 corners very often from Texas. You know what I'm saying? So I'd, I'd go with him. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. You give me any combination of him plus Christian Gray, Micah Tease, uh, Calvin Simpson Hunt, the ki- the other kid from Texas, you give me one of those other two guys. I'm trying to think if there's any other corners on the board at the current moment. Let me pull up the 23 offer list and see if there's any other corners that they're actually in on here. And I, I don't. You know, so we I talked about Calvin Simpson Hunt, Micah Tease. I forgot about Micah Tease. He's way at the top of my list. You give me minimum one of those guys to go with Micah Bell, and I'm happy with the cornerback class. If you give me two of those guys to go with Micah Bell, I'm thrilled with it. And, you know, there's going to be some projection there and stuff like that. But 
you know, if I had to pick of that group, I would really like to see Micah Tease and or Calvin Simpson Hunt be picked because there's just something to the idea of going into Oklahoma and Texas's backyard and beating them for top recruits. You know, that would be that would be something I'd like to see. And and if they were able to convince Mike, if they were able to, to get Micah Bell and Calvin Simpson Hunt and Jaden Greathouse in his class, which is possible, that would give them five kids from Texas, five four-star kids from Texas, five top 250 or higher four-star kids from Texas. That would be huge, huge. But, you know, it, it would be stuff like that. But, look, you give me any two of those kids to go with Micah Bell, and I'm and I'm a happy guy. Oh, and, and you know, there's guys and other guys on the board like Caleb Presley and J- Josiah Wagner. I haven't seen Josiah Wagner yet. Ryan likes him. Ryan thinks he's a good player. I haven't seen him yet, so I can't comment on him. Caleb Presley's a stud. I just don't think Caleb Presley has any interest in their name. But, like, there's other guys I would love to have. It's just those, to me, are more of the realistic options at this point in time at the cornerback position. We got another super chat here from Brandon. Thank you very much. Do you think the new NIL guidelines will force recruits to be hesitant in taking these upfront money deals and possibly give Notre Dame a serious look? For example, Tate. No, I don't think so because I think I think number one, it's not going to stop anyone. We talked about this on the show, right? Ryan and I did. Until they, if, if the, the guidelines aren't going to cause anyone to do anything. Right. No one's going to change anything because of guidelines. The only thing that's going to change is if they actually step up and hurt, hammer somebody. That, yeah. That's it. Because if you're just offering guidelines and there's no teeth to them, then okay, whatever. Say whatever you want. You got to go save face. Means do nothing. what you got to do. But we're not going to. We're not going to. We're not going to change anything we're doing. Right? right. So I don't think that matters. That they're going to have to hammer somebody first. The other th- part of it too is is there's nothing about the you know, guidelines that say you can't make a ton of money once you get there. And the reality is, is there's still the thought that you're going to get paid more money at SEC schools than you would at Notre Dame. Sure. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen, but that's the thought. And I think that would still factor into his decision. So, look, we can look for all the reasons in the world to think the Cardinal Tate's going to be back with Notre Dame, but I just, as of right now, I I just don't see it. I, I, and there's other guys on the board that, you know, that I would – I would rather see as maybe better fits yeah. than Cardinal Tate. Because if that's what he's looking for, that's fine. The only way that I could see Cardinal Tate getting back to Notre Dame is if he just decides, you know what, this isn't important enough to me to to make a – I got to make this decision for the right reasons and right. just taking a big payday is not it. If he decided that, welcome back, kid. Love you, right? But it's just that those deals dry up, so might as well go to Notre Dame now. I, I don't want him. Right. I don't want him at that point in time. Because then he's going to jump into portal a year from now, and you know when when and and you know I just whatever, it is what it is, and you know I just I want guys who want to be here, yeah, right? Exactly. That that's my thing. And Cardinal for whatever reason doesn't want to be here right now. If that changes and he wants to be a part of this for the right reasons, I'd welcome him back with open arms because he's a talented player, and I think deep down he's a good kid. I just think he's getting bad advice, unfortunately. Got on a massive super chat by K. Grant. Thank you very much. The intel on the board is fire. <laughs> Thank you for that, K. Grant. Yeah, appreciate it very much. That's big time, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. And I th- I agree with them. I mean, there's a lot. We have a ton of intel was, on the board today, man. Like I said, I've said this in the past. You know, the board, the intel, the recruiting intel comes from obviously Ryan and Brian, and they they put it up and there. Sean, Sean and has and some Sean intel today too. Yep. 
of course. And I'm reading it with you guys. I'm like, ooh, okay, this is some good stuff. Okay, okay. So the Smitty's been throwing some stuff on the board, uh, some intel on the board lately too, Brian Smith. Yep, yep, down in Florida. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, the the intel on the board today was fantastic. I was riveted while I was trying not to focus on the fact there's no air conditioning up in the gym. So it was was awesome. Good stuff. Jordan says, has Chancey Stuckey been down to meet Tyler Williams or has it just been Tommy Reese? I sure hope they can get Tyler to come to campus. That would be amazing. Yes, I believe he has. But again, as I said earlier, I just don't see that one. I don't see that one happening. I'll believe that they're a player there when he says, I'm coming to visit Notre sure. Dame. Until then, it's a pipe dream. You know, it, 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 it and the sad thing is he, he'd he be a great fit at Notre Dame in so many ways. 4.0 student, you know, quiet wow. kid, doesn't care about all the flash. He just wants to go play ball and go to class and, and better himself. He'd be a great fit at Notre Dame. I just – he doesn't he doesn't clearly see that or think that. What's so, he look, what, what schools is he looking at? Out of well, he's, he released a top 10 that had a bunch of SEC and ACC okay. schools plus like Syracuse, Notre Dame, and some other random one. But, okay. it's, I mean, it's like his – He's got four visits set up so far, like one's to Ole Miss, one's to Clemson. Let me gotcha. let me look at these others because he's got he's got multiple visits set up. Okay. He's going to Ole Miss during the season. He's going to Clemson on June third, Georgia on June tenth. Those are considered the two leaders as of right now. I think there's um a, a, there's a couple others that he's got. They don't have them here. I'd have to go look at uh, okay uh, and find it. But like he's got four set up, and I just. I just don't see him just be for whatever reason being interested in what Notre Dame has to offer, which is strange because he's the kid that typically would profile that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Corey D says Clarence Lewis's experience is tough to ignore. However, Ohio State presents a clear problem with their speed on the outside. Do you see a scenario where the staff starts Barnes for that game? Well, I I don't know if. If you're looking to fix the speed problem, I don't know if Ryan Barnes is your answer because that's not the strength of his game either. I mean, his length. You know, I think if you're going to talk about speed, then then say, hey, look, then you need to start Tariq Bracy and Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison because those are the three fastest guys you got. You know, I I, I think what you would do, Corey, is, is if you believe as a staff that Clarence Lewis is clearly your second best corner. You don't take him out for the high. You don't take your second best corner off the field because you don't think he can run with their speed. Number right. one, what you try to do is you try to say, maybe there's a guy at Ohio state that doesn't have the speed of, of others. And you try to get that matchup going. But I think the other thing you do is you just protect them with your coverages. You know, maybe you do more buzzing the Rover out in the flats, or maybe you do more robbing the safety down underneath and blitzing the Rover off the edge and, you know, rolling a free to the middle and you let Clarence play more two, right? Where he can be aggressive and rerouter, play more three where he can be off the ball. Or maybe you play some four where, you know, you're, you know, a tr- you know not a traditional four, but like, you know, the, the robber four where, you know, you're those guys are read and run and then they kind of jump underneath stuff and then he plays the post over top. I mean, there's all types of things you could do to protect him. And, and you know, I think if you're playing in a more of a zone type defense with him, then, then you can. You can have more protection, in my opinion, for for him. But I don't think taking your second best corner off the field, if that's what you believe is right. the case, uh, because he doesn't have the speed to match up, when you don't really have a lot of other guys that do have that, I mean, that's not something they have a plethora of at the cornerback position. 
I don't think is necessarily the the answer. The only way that he's not playing there for me, if I'm Notre Dame, is if somebody just flat out beats him out, period. Right. And that guy's going to be the starter the next week and the next week as well. Right, that would right. be the only way that I would. Yeah, I don't see a spot starter for Ohio no. State. I don't I don't see that either. I, no, maybe what they do is they put Clarence inside and then slot and put Tariq outside on the outside, and then that's a better way for them to protect him. That could be something that they look at. Maybe they sure. move him around a little bit, but just taking him out of the lineup, I don't see as one. John wants to know how Gabriel Rubio looked in the spring game compared to the practices you saw earlier in the spring, and has he fully recovered from his injuries? Seems to be healthy. I mean, I didn't see anything, Vince. I don't know if you saw anything from practice that made him look like he wasn't back to 100% health. He looked strong, and he yep. looked like a bull. I mean, he's got a lot – he needs a lot of work from a – like his block destruction wasn't great. At times it was good. At times it wasn't. But he competed. He was he played with motor, got after it. I just think there's some more work to be done, to be done technically. Uh, other than that, you know, I just uh, – I don't see a – uh, you know, it's just work to be done. I don't see him really pushing hard for time right now. He's going to have to continue to improve and get off blocks better and things like that. But, you know, he, if he if he takes a, another step this fall, he could be a guy that factors into that nose tackle rotation, in my opinion. There's no doubt. And they they need him to because, like, the one thing is I hope that he does take that step because the one thing that Gabriel brings to the table that nobody else on the depth chart does, size. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I, I just noticed the name. Wow, this is phenomenal. That's fantastic. I know that hits you right where it feels good. EJ Holland's last brain cell. Thank you so much for the super chat and for the great name. If you had to pick five, who would you take? Tyler Williams, Great House, James, Hannafin, Gallagher, Flores, Carnell Tate wasn't a scheme fit. <laughs> so I guess Carnell Tate is off right. that list. Well, if I had to take five, I mean, it'd be the first one. It'd be the first five that's on the list. I mean, if I if I had if I could if I was taking all five, then that would that wouldn't be the order that I would take them in because Braylon James is at the beginning of that for me. But it would just be that first five. So Tyler Williams, Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Ronan Hannafin, and Rodney Gallagher. That would be my five. All right, but I mean, it's one of those things where if you have a minimum four man class from that group of six. You're gonna have a heck of a receiving core, mm-hmm. I and mean, there's no doubt. There's, I mean, it's like here, here's the problem that I think we need to we need to be careful about because recruiting seems to have been going so well at receiver so far that I almost feel like people are acting as if like Rico Flores would be a disappointment. And yes, like I just got done saying, he's the sixth guy on that list of of the list for me. But his final three schools are Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Georgia. Right. Right, like this, he he's a top two fifty player. It's a good football player. Splitting hairs. I mean, right. well, it's not. It's, I wouldn't say that because I do think those guys are definitely better. But it's like those guys are all like top hundred caliber guys, and he's a top two hundred caliber guy. So it's like, yeah, he's not. He, he may not be as good as those guys, but this kid's a good football player. I mean, you look at his rankings. He's one fifty five by Rivals, two forty six by two four seven Sports, two seventeen by ESPN, and. 267 by on three, who I think is terrible at rankings. Although I do like the fact they have Solomon Absher ranked 99th. But, you know, the others I think are reasonable. 155 to kind of 250. Th- that's a good football player. He may not be the top 100 guy like Gallagher and Williams right. and Greathouse. But think about what Notre Dame's been doing at receiver. Like, that kid's a good football player. And I hope that it doesn't come across if he picks Notre Dame. And I'm not saying he will. 
that all of a sudden it's like a disappointment because he's not a, a higher ranked guy. Like if you're disappointed that a top two fifty kid picked Notre Dame, right. that's that's a good thing for Notre Dame. Right. Right. And and maybe you might want to rethink like they're not going to get every top kid at every position. Rico Flores is a good football player, and he's got he's got Ivy League offers, so he fits Notre Dame too. That has to be considered as well. He would be picking Notre Dame for the right reasons. Right. So I I just I want us to kind of even though my answer of him is he's sixth out of sixth, that kid's a good football player that nobody should be disappointed should Notre Dame get him. That that's that's my that's my kind of my last take on that or events. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Stone Eater, I'm going to go with. He says, how, or, or she, how big can we expect Notre Dame's 23 class to end up being? Right now, it's about 25 is what they're looking for. It could go past that if the right guys want to jump on board. Right. But it can't go much past that. Because, I mean, they're over 85 right now. Right. Because I, th- I, I mean, think I'm like six. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have something on that tomorrow, kind of. Because they're going to have some. Because the thing is, I from what I, you know, talking to some different folks, like they just assumed that somebody was going to jump in the portal because that's what always happens. Somebody jumps in the portal. And the only people that jumped in the portal were people they weren't counting anyway because they weren't invited back, like Sebo Flemister. Yeah. So they're sitting there like, uh, nobody jumped in the portal. And now we're over. Right. Because <laughs> they don't push guys out. They just thought it would kind of take care of itself naturally. Right. And so, like, they were hoping to be able to get a grad transfer at receiver or, a you know, tra- a portal kid at receiver. And they're like, well, we can't really take anybody. We're, we're, t- we're over, you know. So, you'd ha- to take a, to take someone, they'd have to lose two kids. Right. Well, the problem, the reason that matters is if you jump in the portal, my understanding is if you jump in the portal after May 1st, you have to sit out. You can't play oh, right. right away, which is why that portal deadline. I mean, kid can jump in a portal in August if he wants to. He just can't go play that year unless he's able to get a waiver. So what you're going to have to see is something like a medical. Maybe you take a walk-on scholarship away because they're not guaranteed for the next year, you know, all the time, which I don't love that. But, hey, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Right. But they're going to need to to take anyone. They're going to need to lose two guys. But to the question, a lot of this just depends on, you know, how good the season is. Right. If Notre Dame has a great year, you know, and and we can can bring – we can bring Ryan Roberts into this conversation. Really? If Notre Dame has a great year this year, you know, there's a chance, Vince, that that they lose a bunch of guys to the draft. Sure. I mean, we, Ryan and I talked about that and wrote stories about that. I mean, if if Notre Dame wins a playoff game this year, it's because guys like Maris Luafau and Brandon Joseph and Cam Hart and guys like that are all having breakout seasons, right? So 
you know, there's a chance some of those guys may go. Right. And, and so I think that could factor into it as well of like everybody that could leave the NFL leaves next year, that might open up a spot or two in the recruiting class, but you know, it just, there's so many things that factor into this. So right now, Notre Dame is shooting for around 25. They would have to have a lot of unexpected uh, departures or, you know, some, some, uh, some other guys that would have to, you know, maybe transfer or go to the NFL for that to work. So Ryan's having some internet issues. So we're going to, we're going to stay through this Vince. So you got some more questions that you, uh, Jordan has a good one here and I'm, I'm going to take out his adjectives because it kind of colors where he thinks these guys should be. Okay. Yes. Uh, Let's try to do that. He says rank the Notre Dame coaches, Brian Kelly, Dan Devine, Jerry Faust, Bob Davey, uh, Ty Willingham, and Charlie Weiss. So, so I guess well, whatever I, your theory is for ranking them. I mean, to me, I'd have to put Dan Devine at the top because he won a national title. This list, yes, because – Yeah, and then there's Brian Kelly after that, and then there's a huge gap. Like, for, with all due respect, and, and, and people know my feelings on Brian Kelly. Other after Dan Devine, Brian Kelly doesn't deserve to be on a list with those guys, other than if you're just listing chronologically who coached at Notre Dame. Right. Right. I mean, with all look, I dislike Brian Kelly as a person. I think he's overrated as a coach. When people talk about he's like this elite coach, I, I don't think you ever respect Notre Dame. But you and and I think some of the credit that he gets for the last five years, he shouldn't get, but he still deserves some of it. You know what I mean? And to put him in the same category as as Jerry Faust and Bob Davey and Ty Willingham and Charlie Weiss, I mean, he he doesn't deserve to be in the conversation with them if we're being honest and objective. I mean, it, do you want me to, like, be mean and petty and, and be personal and dislike him and, and say mean things? I could do that. I mean, you know, that everybody knows my feelings on that. But if you're going to ask me a legitimate question, Brian Kelly doesn't de- deserve to be on that list with anyone other than Dan Devine. And, and that's just the reality of it, right? Like Brian Kelly had one terrible year at Notre Dame, right? He had a, he had a winning season in 11 to 12 years. Those other guys all got fired because they didn't have that kind of success. So we can dislike him all we want. And I'm right there with you, especially personally. I do think he's an overrated coach. Like the thing I hate more than anything is when people say he's the winningest coach of all time. Okay, what, what do you mean by that? He won more games than the other coach. Okay, then he's the losingest coach of all time because he lost right. more games than the other coach in their history. Exactly. You're just giving me longevity numbers. Exactly. Where's he ranking win percentage and big games and all that kind it's, of stuff? He's down. Right. Like last three years, Notre Dame went, what was it, with Brian Kelly? They went, what was it, um, 32 and five the last three years? 32 and four. Oh, yeah, 32 and four the last four years because I don't count the Oklahoma State loss on him. Right, right. They were three and four against ranked teams in that stretch. Like you're not a great coach, but you're darn sure better than Jerry Faust, Bob Davey, Ty Willingham, and, and Charlie Weiss. Right. right? Like he didn't you lose to UConn. He didn't. You know he lost to Navy early in his career, but you know he's dominated him recently. So I I think that's a bit unfair, and that's more of a personal jab than a realistic ranking. Uh, I dislike Brian Kelly. I would have him lower on that list if it's a who are your favorite people. You know, yeah. he'd be down at the bottom of that list. But if you're going to ask me rank him as coaches, it's Divine, Kelly, and then a big drop-off, big, big gap, long gap between the next person on that list, which would probably, for me, be Charlie Weiss. Because even though Charlie had – he had two good years, 
Mm-hmm. His two good years were better than Bob Davies' two good years, in my Agreed. opinion. And he left Brian Kelly in a situation where there was a lot of talent on that roster because as bad of a head coach as Charlie was, the one thing he could do is recruit. recruit. And there were some dudes that he left yep. Brian Kelly on that roster. So Absolutely. he would be third, and then there'd be another drop off for me. I'd probably go with Bob Davy next, then Jerry Faust, and then Ty Willingham left last. Because the thing about the thing about Jerry Faust over Ty is Ty Willingham left Notre Dame in a train wreck of a situation. Where like after 06, you're like, there's not going to be anybody any good on the football team because his last two recruiting classes were two of the worst in Notre Dame history. Jerry Faust left Lou Holtz with some dudes, especially some dudes from Ohio because he could recruit the state of Ohio because of his, you know, his career as a high school coach there. So that's how I would rank him, just kind of off the top of my head. All right, that'll do. I will set you up for this next one, and then I will go behind the scenes and star some for you, Brian. Thank you, sir. Here we go. I like this one. Dexter Domer, what is the minimum number of wins you would accept for this season to be a successful st- season? What would your cutoff for this might be a real problem. Okay, that, there's that's two different numbers for me. Yes, it is. I agree. So minimum, you you have to to me if Notre Dame is anything less than a ten and a ten win team this year, I'm disappointed. That's my number two. Ten. Right. That that's my that's mine. And and it, then it gets into okay, what are the losses like? Or you know, if you're ten and three with really close losses and your schedule's deeper, like right. I mean, the, the in my opinion, the best year that the best team, the two best teams Brian Kelly had in the last five years were the seventeen and eighteen teams. Even though the 17 team had more losses than any other team, they played seven ranked teams that year. This year they played one. Right. You know, and, and so this year's team would not have been 10 and three if they played that schedule, most likely. So it, it, th- those things all factor in, but 10 wins, just yeah. no matter what the criteria, 10 wins is the minimum for me. And as far as, you know, we might have a problem if, if they win fewer than nine games, it's like, uh oh. Yes. Uh, eight was my number for that yeah. one. It's yeah. Eight. And that's it. That uh, you're talking eight nine and, and four would make me a little nervous, but I'd say, hey, first year, you yeah. know, tougher schedule. And again, it, it depends on how those games shook out. Like, yeah. was there a massive injury, you yeah. know, that really depleted, you know, depleted them for a couple yeah. weeks, or, you know, something along those yeah, lines. Like, if, if they got if they go through like a three game stretch and Pine and Buckner both out, and they go like right. one and two in those games, and you know, it, because they're playing Angeli or Ron Paulus, I I may. But right. if you if you win fewer than ten, I'm a little nervous. If you win fewer than nine, it's like, mm, yeah, eight's my this, number. This could be bad. No excuses. No, excuses. I'd be shocked if they I, won fewer I would, than nine games. I mean, these guys are going to have to be decimated with injuries for that. Right. Think, but eight, eight and ten for me. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. On that yeah, one, that so. that would be uh, that would be bad. Ryan, any thoughts on that? No, I think it's ten at this point. Like, like ten is. 10 is the must at this point. It, it You've gotten to the point now, and we're going to give Brian Kelly a little bit of credit. At least he got he got Notre Dame back to a point where 10 is the standard at worst, in my opinion. If mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you to the sense of if it's 9 and 4, just a hair under, and there's a lot of circumstances behind the scenes, right, a lot of injuries or other factors, then I can accept it with the, fa- with the premise that there is – recruiting down the pipeline that is really good the sophomore class this year is going to be fantastic and you have them for another year so i could accept it but anything less than 10 wins at this point would be a a big big no matter how tough the schedule appears to be you you know you're a team that i still don't see 
more than three teams having better players than you. I just, I don't see it. And I, and I think saying three is a bit of a stretch Mm -hmm. because I don't think USC has better players top to bottom than Notre Dame. I just, Uh, I don't. I don't especially, see it. especially not an offensive line or defensive line. Oh my gosh. Sure. I mean, seven on seven game, maybe their record won't be as good if it's, it's a seven on seven league, you know, but but in eleven on eleven, it should uh it should it's that's not good. That's not good. 99 problems, but BKA one. I was kind of tinkering with the idea that 99 problems was actually EJ's last brain cell. I was actually kind of <laughs> thinking it might be the same person, but it is not. So I learned something every day. Recruiting question with the recent crystal ball for Rico Flores to Notre Dame. Do you think this means that a four receiver class is unlikely to include either Gallagher or Hannafin? Does Flores change your four receiver class? First of all, I think Mm -hmm. it's silly to put a crystal ball in for a kid who hasn't visited campus unless, you know, yeah, I just think it's silly. Yeah. I don't think it changes the four man class. I definitely don't think it, it means that they're unlikely to get those other two guys. I think what it would mean to me, Ryan, is that, more if if the crystal ball is to be taken seriously, which everyone knows I despise crystal balls for a million reasons, it would mean that there's a better chance they're going to take a five man class than I thought before. I think it would mean more than that than than they're not going to get one of those two guys, especially Gallagher. Hannafin, I'm actually a little bit more concerned about than Gallagher at this point in time. Agree, agree. I agree. I agree with that. I, I don't think it changes. It, I, like I don't think it changes the fact that you feel like you're in a good spot with either guy. I agree completely with you, though. I mean, I know we just saw an instance of a recruitment in Devin Houston where he had not gotten to – well, he, but he had been on campus before, right. right? Like, he hadn't been on campus in a while, but Rico Flores has literally never been right. in South Bend yet. I right. don't understand. Now, they did get Braylon James beforehand, but that was a little sure. bit of a different situation. Uh, yeah. But, yes, I, I, I agree. It's There shouldn't have been crystal balls in for him either. Because even though right. we knew where things stood, it's like, but what if he doesn't like it? You don't ever really know until the kid's been on campus. Sure. So it just and, and this I don't know. This one's just a little. I mean, not, not to go completely behind the scenes on this one, but you had heard things about Braylon where you were just like, oh, okay, it makes a lot of sense from a couple different standpoints, and it makes sense for Rico too because he's a great student. He's a mm-hmm. really good athlete too. It's it's not that he doesn't fit the criteria of Notre Dame. It's just. You like I just don't see I, I just don't see why it's a foregone conclusion that Notre Dame is right. the team. Like I, I just don't get that pulse at all. Well, and, and I and I think it was absolutely stupid too to put the crystal ball in the day of his announcing his top three. Like, could you try any harder to try to take away from this kid's moment? You're gonna steal his recruit his commitment because you're gonna have a million crystal balls wherever he's gonna go. Then you put a crystal ball out the day that he announces his top three. It's just a prick move. Well, well, it's it, it's getting him back for that April Fool's post he made. Remember that? Well, yeah, tomorrow well, I mean, whenever on April. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> but you know what? Like, I know you're joking, but yeah, it yeah. just it's just such a petty place. It's just whatever places. Brian's crystal ball coming to IrishBreakdown.com. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> Definitely not happening. Uh, Andrew Sakalowski, Sakalowski, Marcus Freeman is better than Brian Kelly recruiting. Agree. What may be just as important is the better development of players that should happen. If the development piece is there, Notre Dame is a championship caliber program. That was more of a comment than a question, which I dig. We like those. We do like you guys making some questions or some statements as well, sharing your opinions. I, I dig this. Ryan, what is your response to this? Do you think that there should be an expectation of better development with this staff compared to Brian Kelly? Because I think what happens is a lot of people just look at development as the head coach. 
well, how can mm-hmm. Marcus Freeman be better developing when he's only never been a head coach before? And Brian Kelly's the head coach, as Brian Kelly's to remind us all the time in 30 years, right? Because they forget there's a lot of other dudes on the staff than just the head coach. Yeah. And I, I think that that's been obviously the big, the big, I mean, we knew the recruiting prowess of some guys like Al Washington and what Harry Heastan has done in his first tenure with Notre Dame. But I think the development meant, I don't, I think the development side of these coaching hires is something that I was most excited about because you were excited about Harry Heastan coming back because he was the reason that Notre Dame was O-line you when he was there. You know that he can develop. You have a guy like an Al Golden who has so much experience as a head coach, has been on the NFL on the college level. You expect him to develop guys because he's been literally in different levels, different regions of the country, and he's been able to, you know, I mean, especially when he was at Temple, I mean, he was developing his butt off, man. Like, they, they weren't getting great football players. If you look from a two-, three-star perspective, it's not like he was getting a bunch of studs and just, you know, X's and O's, not, you know, the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and the O's. Like, he had to develop some guys in that sense, right? So you get those two. Dylan McCullough is a guy that has a great reputation as a developer at the running back position. Chancey Stuckey's a guy that we had question marks about what would his recruiting side look like. But just from the from what how much Baylor improved in one season under his tutelage, you expected him to come in and get back to the basics. So I expect a I mean Al Washington, what he did back back in the day um at Boston College with a guy like a Harold Landry as only a three-star recruit. Like you expect those guys to be really good developers of talent. And I think that at some point, if you're recruiting at this high of a level, there's no excuses. Like if you have a, a staff that can recruit to the degree that Notre Dame seems to be at and also have guys that have developing backgrounds, backgrounds of developing a lot of talent, then yeah, that should that should be the expectation. It, it, the development needs to be a huge piece of this because there's obviously talent coming into the program. Stone Eater, will any other programs be largely negatively impacted by Notre Dame's step up in recruiting, or will other top programs just lose out on a target or two because our classes are spread out all over the country? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I I think as far as like other programs, I think what Notre Dame's doing right now is killing Michigan. Absolutely killing Michigan. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many kids in this class they thought they were going to get, and now the clown that runs the on three Michigan sites talking about they're going to flip Peyton Bowen and all this other nonsense just to get clicks. You know, it, they're killing Michigan. I mean, that's that's a fact. So it's hurting Michigan. But as far as like the powers, like, you know, is is you know, th- two two years ago, a year ago, Keon Keeley probably you know, maybe eventually flips to Bam or something like that, just because Brian Kelly wouldn't have been as involved and he would have felt like not respected, rightfully so. And he might have flipped. So, you know, you keep a guy like Keon Keeley away from Alabama, but they're going to be fine there. You know, maybe you take it to Jaden Osbury away from, from LSU. You know, even if it's only a guy or two, that's a big target. I think part of it is what is the quality of the player you're taking away from those schools. If you only take Jaden Osbury away from LSU, that's a huge loss. Huge loss. And you go to Texas, you know, like you take Braylon James from them. That's okay. They're going to be fine. They're going to get Jaden Greathouse. Well, then you take Jaden Greathouse away from them if that (laughs) happens. So it's only like, you know, two guys, but that's two really big parts of what they're trying to do. You know I mean? So there's there's a lot of that. It just depends on the quality of the one or two that they're taking away. But that's really the ultimate key. That's when you truly close the gap on programs. It's not when you are, you know, signing a Julian Love who ends up breaking out and becoming better than you think, because yes, that helps you, but mm-hmm. you didn't take anything away from anyone. He wasn't looking at Ohio state and Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and Texas. 
when you can go into their backyard and beat them for guys that they want that are big time players, that's when you start to hurt people. And that's why Ryan wrote the article about Notre Dame and Clemson yesterday, looking at the offensive line. It's like, look, not only are you just recruiting, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're trying to beat them on the field. You've got mm-hmm. to beat them on the recruiting trail. Also in the region, in the region. Right. Too, and, right, and in a yeah. position where, you know, you're, you're hope if, if you take away Sullivan Absher and Monroe Freeling away from them, you're not only helping yourself, but you're hurting a team that you're chasing. If you're able to beat Ohio State for Brandon Vernon and and Bryce West in the 2024 class, you're not only closing the gap because you're landing top players, but you're keeping those top players from playing against you when you play Ohio State. And so that's why those things are very important. And that's why those right. victories are very important. And yes, I, I think that will negatively impact. But to really impact like Bama and Georgia – it can't just be Notre Dame. Notre Dame won't be able to by itself do enough damage to those teams to bring them back down to earth. And, and Ryan, this should be a, a fun show. We kind of did this a year or two ago. I think this would be a really fun show that now that there's so much coaching changes at big-time programs, to really hurt Bama, Notre Dame, and Georgia, uh, Bama and Georgia, and Clemson, to bring them back down to, to earth, Notre Dame desperately needs the three two of the three florida schools to get back to being what they used to be some like somewhere close to what they used to be because what's happening now is they're just getting killed in state well Mm -hmm. florida's talent's not decreasing it's just that they're all leaving the state they're going to clemson they're going to bama they're going to georgia well if florida state florida miami are just two of those three can get back to being powerhouses on the recruiting trail that's not going to hurt Notre Dame as much as it's going to hurt Alabama and Georgia. It's not going to hurt Notre Dame as much as it's going to hurt Clemson. And that's good for Notre Dame. And so it's going to take more than just Notre Dame to do that. I mean, USC being good is good for Notre Dame and not just in the typical reasons that we think about. Because, you know, USC is always going to have a great quarterback. But it'd be nice if they could keep some of those West Coast great quarterbacks from going to Alabama Alabama. (laughs) you know what I mean like it's just one of those things because now you've got to face them and you can handle your business there and it you know Alabama's got to take another rung down so I just it's going to be more than Notre Dame but Stone Eater that's a that was a great really a great question Brian anything else you'd like to add to that yeah no it is a really great I mean I think the first and foremost is we know it's a little bit of an atypical year this year in the north as far as recruiting so you're, you're hurting most Easily understood, understandably, the Ohio States, the Michigans, like those Midwest powers. But to your point, I mean, you already have two players out of the state of Texas in Peyton Bowen and Braylon James. If you get a Jaden Greathouse, then I mean, you're dipping extensively into. I mean, that literally, if you sign all three of those players, then you have as many Texas players in this cycle as you've had the previous five all combined. Yeah. So. Just to put that, and then and then if you add Micah Bell to the mix, then I mean, you're more than the last right. cycles. Like, yeah, it's it's right. extensive, and then you get a Keon Keeley out of Florida, and you maybe touch in California with a Rico Flores if if you can pull that one off. And those are the territories that we always talk about that are the ones that I mean, that's where this talent comes from. We know it comes from the state of Texas, it comes from the state of Florida, it comes from California most uh, more than anywhere. So I think that that's where you start regionally start hurting hurting them. And I agree with you to the sense of. 
parity in those regions as far as recruiting from the other schools, right? If a Florida can keep those kids in state Miami, like those schools in the regions, if they can start fighting, if the Texas and Texas A&M battles, those continue in the state of Texas. And then Notre Dame just plucks a couple guys out of there, a couple guys, then you're really hurting those types of regions. So yes, I think that you can compete not only in those regions, but that's where you really start seeing the parity kind of coming into the sense, right? And that's what Notre Dame's trying to get to right now. You're trying to get to the level of an Alabama because you, in order to overtake those national powers, you have to get even with them at some point. Like it's not just vaulting in one off season. Like you have to kind of steady the gap and then you take over the gap. So yes. And it was a, that could be a good article. That's a fascinating mm-hmm. question by stone eater, honestly. Yeah. I, I want us to I want us to have I, it's going to be a show. So like we're going through kind of our summer shows and, and we're going to do things a little bit differently than we did last year. We're going to kind of come up with like we would just have during the summer, Ryan, just a bunch of mailbags every day. And I think what we're going to do this year is we're going to do our normal Notre Dame coverage. But I want us to kind of cover some bigger picture stuff. You know, we, we're going to have like top we're going to rank our top coaches who's overrated that we had that topic idea the other day on the show. I think this is another one is what programs emergence is good for college football and good for Notre Dame. Because I think those things, two things kind of somewhat go hand in hand. And and then, you know, it's like, so if, if you want, like I, I'm, I, what I hate, I hate when people say, you, know, you should make it to where Alabama can only hire so many this, or they can only pay this. And I, I hate that. I hate the whole idea of, well, you know, uh, this site's bigger than ours. So they should not let them sign any more customers. You know, they, you know, they shouldn't let them pay. Forget that. Let's work Hand, harder. Let's be better. Handicapping people. Yeah, let's yeah. do a better job. Let's let's improve our product and make our product better and become the best. I hate that notion. And and so, but, so I want to see it done naturally. And the, there's a way to do it. And that's certain programs got to get better. And I think that's going to be a fun show. I think I'm going to put that on the list for next week. I think this, that, I think that'd be a really fun topic for us to discuss. No doubt about it. J.P. Buhlsfeld asks the Four Horsemen or Newt Rockney, or Father Hesburgh, which is your favorite. I cannot think of any other Division I football program with a U.S. stamp. Notre Dame has had three. I'm partial to coaches, so I'm going to have to go with Newt Rockney on that one. I couldn't name all four horsemen. I know that's sad, no, right? Because some of their names are a little, you know, a uh, little little hard to for me to remember. But, yeah, I, I'm i going to have to go with Newt Rockney because he had, to me, I mean, from a pure football standpoint, had the longest – or the biggest impact, in my opinion. He he was sort of the the foundation of what made of Notre Dame's greatness in so many different ways. So yeah, Ryan, yeah. of those three, you go with Newt Rockney as well. Yeah, I would go Rockney too. It's just it's the one that I most have the most extensive knowledge on, to be honest with you as well. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I, I guess it's sad as well, but I can't name the four horsemen, right? So I I, right. I would probably go with Rockney just because I feel like his impact just like resonates. You know, I, no matter. Mm-hmm. What age group you are, you have a, ge- a general understanding of who New Rockney was and what his right. impact was, and I, I think that that's just going to resonate forever. To be honest with you, yeah, like I feel like I can name three of them. Right? There's there's Crowley. There's I think Layden was one. Miller and Stoldrayer. Is that who? It, is that four? Let me look it up. Let me that was sure. four. I don't know if it's the right four, but that was yeah. four. Horseman Notre Dame. Let's look it up. So see if I got it right. Elmer Layden, Jim Crowley, Don Miller. I think it's a Dan, and then Harry Stuhldreher. So yeah, you were good. Good job. I, I couldn't remember all their first names, but I got the last names. Do you remember who wrote the uh, the article that they gave them their nickname, Ryan? Do you remember that famous no. writer, Grantland Rice? Mm-hmm. 